you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter number 4. We are back in our series, Finding and Following Jesus, studying verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter number 4. Last week we talked about kingdom growth and how that happens. We discussed that message in more detail. had a great time in my connection group doing that this morning. Human initiative, when that meets divine intervention, kingdom growth Happens. Now we're going to be finishing up chapter 4 today, looking at verses number 35 through verses number 41. So I, I want to read those verses to start with, and then we will jump in to God's Word and study it together today. Verse number 35. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, <clears throat> excuse me, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude... They took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? And how is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The title of the message today is this, When Obedience Leads to Disaster. I want to say it again. I want you to think about it. When obedience leads to disaster. Maybe at first that title might not make any sense to you because many believers are hardwired to think or I think even sometimes they're falsely taught that obedience to God always leads to immediate blessing and disobedience to God always leads to immediate disaster. Yet the title of my message implies that it's possible for us to obey God and still experience difficult situations afterwards. See, I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in other people's lives as well. We obey God and almost instantly face a setback. We make a good spiritual decision and almost immediately the bottom seems to fall out of everything. I've seen people who came to church, heard the gospel, they got saved, they, they were fired up, they were full of joy and they wanted everyone else to have what they now have. So they obeyed God in sharing the gospel with others. Like we talked about last week, they just started sowing seeds within their family uh, with their close friends. They sowed some seeds with, with their co-workers, but, but instead of them Receiving it like they received it, their, their co-workers and friends and family members kind of turned them off and distanced themselves from them. And in some cases, they even lost the relationship altogether. I mean, they were just trying to do the right thing. But it went bad. I'm imagining someone like many in our church who a couple of weeks ago committed to giving to missions above the tithe. In fact, our church committed $340,000 above our tithe that we've designated to go to missions in this year. It's amazing. 
But I can imagine that two months from now, right when your faithfulness starts to get tested, you might have a medical emergency arise. That medical emergency might come with a a doctor's bill that is pretty high. and, And you've always heard testimonies of how God supplies the need that is created by giving, but it feels more like your step of faith was met with less supply, not more. You obeyed. Why do I obey? And then I experience this. I'm imagining a person who has had long-standing tension in a relationship, but finally decides with the help of God to, to give that offense over to the Lord and forgive their offender. Yet it seems that immediately following that decision, their long-suffering and their intention to forgive is immediately tested by more and more offenses. The moment they choose to obey and let it go, that person does or says something else to bring it back up. I'm imagining a parent in our congregation today. A parent that's been convicted by God to make some changes in the raising of their kids. Maybe in regards to their priorities or their friendships or what media they're going to allow in their life or what school they're going to attend next year. The changes are difficult. They require a lot of parental courage, but but they know in their heart that they're doing the right thing for their child and they believe God will bless that. So they implement those changes in their home, hoping that God will use those changes to to give their child a better chance to run after the Lord. But but, but instead, it's like their changes are immediately met with resistance and and met with a sour attitude and, and met with even questioning from other parents or family members who don't agree with that parental point of view. So what they thought would be made better through their obedience seems to be making things worse. If you want more examples of this, all you have to do is look at our growth steps. Many times when somebody takes the next step in their spiritual growth, they expect to experience immediate blessings for doing the right thing and they're surprised to experience any difficulty. Some would take the step of believing in God yet face opposition from from family members who differ in religion. They commit through church membership and almost immediately an expectation from the church they had in their heart and mind isn't met. They attempt to put themselves out there and connect step number three with connection groups but seem to be making no progress and and their effort isn't reciprocated. They grow through attending the evening services and they want to make that a priority for their family. But right about the time they make that decision, they get a new boss who won't let them off on Wednesdays. They serve through ministry involvement. And the first week they serve, somebody says or does something deeply offensive. You're thinking, I took the step the preacher told me to take. And I met with this. I'm thinking of our church at large. Just this week alone, God has given me the opportunity to lead two people to Christ. One is Tess Fitzgerald. You might know her, Dr. Fitzgerald's wife. Went over to her house on Tuesday night and she got gloriously saved on Tuesday night. One is Juan, Taryn Den's fiance. He, he gave me a ring, gave me a call and said, hey man, can we, can we meet? I want, I, I want to come to your office. I always get nervous when someone says, I want to come to your office, but they don't tell you why. Uh, what did I do this time? But to my surprise, Juan came in and said, man, God's been working on me about getting saved. And my fiance has been patient with me and God's been patient with me. And I, I think I'm ready. And I shared the gospel with him. And yes, he was ready and he got saved. Let me tell you something. When those two people get saved, it doesn't mean all their problems are going away. And for our church at large, 
Just because we are going forward, just because we're making progress, because we're helping people find and follow Jesus, doesn't mean that every day ahead of our church is easy. In fact, I have found that sometimes the biggest setbacks come right after the greatest victories. I'm talking about times in which believers are just trying to obey the Lord, but when they do, the bottom falls out. When that happens, we despair. And here's what we think. God, why is this happening? I obeyed you. I I did what you led me to do. I, I took the step you wanted me to take. What's going on, God? And what am I supposed to do now? Our text that I read is going to answer both of those questions. Why does this kind of thing happen? And how should we respond when it does? Twelve disciples in our story are simply obeying Jesus. Did you see that? He told them to get into a boat and go to the other side. They didn't argue. They didn't try to talk him out of it. They simply obeyed. But when they did, they were met with a terrible storm that filled them with despair. My question first is this. Why did that happen? They did what Jesus told them to do. And it seems like they're punished for it. Let's answer that question. I'd say it this way, then we're going to go to work on it. The storm was Satan's attempt to prevent the growth of the kingdom. I want you to get this. The storm that they just encountered was not divine. It was demonic. And I'm going to show that to you by using several clues, by showing you several clues or hints in this passage. If you discover in the story of, of Mark so far in this gospel of Mark, his writing technique is so unique. That that in order for us to really get to the bottom line of what he's trying to get across, here's what Mark does. He doesn't always tell us right up front. We have to see these little clues. We have to find these little hints in the text. And that's what I want to show you to prove to you that, that this storm was from the devil. This storm was demonic in nature. The first clue is this, the way the story starts. The very first phrase of verse 35 says, and the same day, the same day. What is Mark doing? He's tying together what they're about to experience with what they had just experienced. It's all happening on the same 24-hour day. Now, you're going to have to think with me this morning. You have to study with me. What did they just experience in chapter 4? Jesus had just got done teaching them that the kingdom will grow. And he got done teaching them, here's how it's going to happen. You're going to sow the seed by taking human initiative. Then I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to come in by way of divine intervention. And I'm going to cause your little mustard seed, the, the, the word that you shared with your coworker, with your friends, with your family, with the world. I'm going to cause that to grow exponentially over time. And it's inevitable. It will happen. But one of the key parts of the teaching of chapter 4 was the first part of chapter 4 when Jesus taught that Satan likes to oppose kingdom growth. How does Satan like to oppose kingdom growth? He does this by snatching the seed of the word of God before it can germinate in the, in the soil of men's hearts. He used the bird as an illustration. Do you remember? The farmer will sow the seed and a bird will come by and steal the seed before it can penetrate the soil. And, th- and that's exactly what Satan will do as the gospel is preached, as the gospel is sown in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls all over the world, the devil is prowling around and he will take any opportunity he can get as quick as he can get it to take that word, take that seed and steal it away out of the hearts of men and women. He opposes kingdom growth. He will not let us sow the gospel without a fight. This is what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that the kingdom of God will face very real opposition from the kingdom of the devil. 
And on the same day that he taught that truth, he commanded them to get in a boat and go to the other side. The other side. I believe that phrase, go into the other side, I believe that is another clue as to why Satan is in the middle of this storm. It makes me ask this church, what awaits them on the other side? Was it something that Satan would want to oppose? Is he trying to prevent them from getting to the other side because of something they'll experience on the other side? Well, look at chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea. Watch this. Into the country of the Gadarenes. Gadarenes. This is a region populated mostly by Gentiles. So they're going to the other side of the sea, watch this church, to expand the kingdom by preaching the gospel, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles because Jesus believed that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And sure enough, guess what they're met with when they get there? Demonic opposition. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. And he was come out of the ship. Immediately there met him out of the tombs. A man with an unclean spirit. Satan immediately tried to stop their progress by possessing a man with a legion. 6,000 demons. Yet what we see in chapter 5, and I'll preach it next week, so come back. Jesus is demonstrating a power greater than Satan's by delivering that man. And then you know what he did? He commissioned that Previously demon-possessed man, after he put him in his right mind, he commissioned him to be a missionary to Decapolis, which was an area where ten city-states resided, mostly populated by Gentiles. I want you to get this. That's what's going to take place on the other side, and Satan knows it. The kingdom is going to grow, and he didn't want to see that happen, so he sent them a storm to try to prevent them from getting to the other side. But there's another hint. To let you know that this storm is not natural. It's demonic. And that's in verse 36. The little detail at the end of the verse. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. Here's what you got to understand about the gospel of Mark and his writing. There is not one detail that is unintentional. Why did Mark include this little phrase? There were with them other little Ships. He doesn't give us the result of those other ships. Did they make it? Did they sink? Did they drown? Did they make it to the other side? We don't know. Here's why. It's not Mark's point. The point of this little detail is to convey that other experienced sellers saw no concern for selling on this day. The sea was full of ships that were ready to go to the other side because it was a good day for sailing. The weather was great. There was no threat of a storm, which tells me that this storm was unnatural. It was demonic. It was brought about by Satan as, as a means to oppose the work of the gospel through these disciples. But perhaps the greatest clue that Mark gives us as to why I believe this storm is demonic is in verse 39. It's the way Jesus talked to the storm. And he arose. Remember, the disciples went and woke him up. And watch this next word, rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. Study with me. Mark uses the word rebuked here for the third time already 
in the first four chapters of his gospel. And the first two times he mentions this word rebuke before he gets to this passage, you know what it's referring to? Jesus rebuking a demon. In fact, the phrase peace be still that Jesus spoke to the storm in verse 39 is the same exact Greek phrase that he used to rebuke the demon in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1 when he said, hold thy peace. So get this, when the disciples woke Jesus up, he immediately recognized the storm as demonic in nature and he rebuked it like he had rebuked demons before. He recognized it as Satan's attempt to prevent them from reaching the other side because Satan knew they were taking the gospel to the Gentiles and he knew they were expanding the kingdom of God in an exponential way. Brother Tyler, what's your point with all that study? Here it is. The difficulty you find yourself in today may be Satan's attempt to prevent what God wants to do through you. And I could add, for the kingdom. Why do I obey? Why do I make spiritual progress? Why do I make a good decision for my family? And then all of a sudden I'm met with a storm, a setback, a difficulty. Because Satan will not let you reach people for the kingdom of God without a fight. Do you know that when you try to share the gospel with your family and your friends and your coworkers, you understand that Satan sees that as potential kingdom growth and he will not sit idly by? When you commit to give to missions above your tithe, Satan will recognize that as potential for kingdom growth and he will do whatever he can to discourage you from giving. Don't you know that when you finally choose to obey God and forgive the person that hurt you, Satan will recognize that obedience and he will quickly find a way to oppose it, almost making you feel like you should have never forgiven that person in the first place? Do you know that when you make a decision that, 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 that would maybe involve your kids and give them a better chance to love the Lord and follow the Lord, that Satan will see that as spiritual progress and would do whatever he can, mom or, or dad, in your mind to make you think that you're being too hard on your kids or, or that you're going to make them so mad they'll hate God and church altogether? Those are lies from the evil one. Don't you know that when you take the next growth step, Satan will see that as one step closer to the Lord and one step farther away from his influence in your life and he will begin to stir up some kind of storm to cause you to either step back or step away from spiritual growth altogether or at the very least cause you to second guess that you did the right thing in the first place? Hey, the difficulty you find yourself in, maybe in this very moment that has come on the heels of your obedience to the Lord, may very well be Satan's attempt to prevent what God wants to do through you for his kingdom. Which brings up the next question of the message. How do you respond when that happens? What are you supposed to do? You did the right thing and now you face a setback. How do you respond? I'll, I'll tell you this. You respond like Jesus did, not like the disciples did. Look at verse 37. There arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship and it was now full. I mean, this is a scary situation. He was in the hinder part, Jesus was, of the ship. He was asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he, he arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Look up here. Jesus wasn't fearful. The man was asleep. He wasn't in despair. When they woke him up, he noticed immediately that the storm was Satan's attempt to prevent kingdom growth. And he rebuked it. 
And he began to resist Satan's efforts to stop them. And then you know what he did? He turned to his disciples and he rebuked them. And he said this, how is it that you have no faith? In other words, guys, do you still not grasp what I've been teaching you? Satan will oppose you. You should have recognized this tact for what it was. It's demonic. I told you it would happen. And I've proven to you on top of that that you have the ability in Christ to deal with it. Why are you so cowardly? Why are you so timid? Why are you so fearful? Do you not comprehend the power of God over Satan that I've given you? Jesus is teaching them, church. He's teaching us today. That instead of despairing because of difficulty that comes on the heels of our obedience to God, we should see these difficulties as Satan's attempt to prevent us from accomplishing God's good purpose. And then we should have the faith to both resist the attack and to trust God's power to enable us to carry out the commands and the purposes for our lives. Here's the lesson we're supposed to learn. We face a storm as a result of our obedience to God simply Resist Satan's efforts and trust God's power. The whole first part of the message was revealing to you that sometimes you'll obey God and Satan will oppose that. And you need to recognize right away, it's not always God's fault. You need to recognize that that you didn't do the wrong thing by doing the right thing. You need to stop second-guessing your obedience to God because God never promised you a bed of roses right after you do what's right. He never promised you that. So don't put God on the hook for something He never promised you. You You need to understand that at the heart of this, when you face a setback, when you're met with disappointment, don't be overwhelmed with fear. Don't be overwhelmed with discouragement, doubt, or despair, or second-guessing. You should have the faith to see it as a satanic attack and resist Satan and trust God's power to overcome his attacks in your life. So when you have faith to share the gospel, talk about Christ with others, but, but Satan opposes that by causing that person to reject your influence, maybe even reject your, your entire friendship. When that happens, you need to recognize But that's Satan behind that. And don't let him get you down. Resist him. Don't let him cause you doubt that you did the wrong thing in sharing your faith. Instead, trust in God's power to be greater than Satan's opposition. Stop and literally pray in that moment that God would give you the strength and the faith to weather the attack of Satan, to weather this storm, and to take care of it for you. When you give to missions by faith, maybe some of you are going to do that today. And then Satan maybe causes a setback in your finances via a medical bill or unexpected car repair. Resist his attacks to be discouraged. Don't let him bring doubt into your life. Instead, just stop and pray. Trust God to provide your need as you put him first. When you have faith to forgive that person that you struggle to forgive for so long and Satan almost immediately causes that person to react to you in a way that prevents your forgiveness, resist those efforts. Satan will whisper to you, you should have never forgiven them. I told you, your forgiveness is enabling them. You should have never said, I'm sorry. 
I told you they wouldn't be ready to hear it. You know, Satan recognizes that unity among believers is a powerful force for kingdom growth. And when they're squabbling and all that going on, he will do whatever he can to prevent reconciliation. And you need to recognize that. And by faith, when you say, God, I don't feel it in the moment. I don't even believe it in the moment. But give me power to overcome Satan's efforts to stop me from genuine forgiveness. When you decide to take the next growth step, the devil just attacks your mind. When your life with what ifs and insecurity and doubt, you've got to resist him. You've got to trust in God's power if God has called you to connect with a connection group or to join a church or to get saved or come to an evening service or, or link up with our church and, and begin to get involved. And if God has called you to that, he has the power to, to give you what you need to fulfill that calling. Don't let the devil cause you to take a step back from a right decision. Just because your life gets hard. I think you get the point. We shouldn't be surprised when we obey God and then experience difficulty. Because we have an enemy. And he will do anything in his power to stop our forward progress. So it's simple. Resist Satan's effort to prevent us from carrying out God's commands. And trust God's power to enable us to accomplish whatever he has put in our heart to accomplish for his kingdom. And you know what the book of James says? Resist the devil. And here's the promise. He will flee from you. The word resist is, is, is a lot like the idea of stiff arming. You've seen that, right? It's the pose of the Heisman Trophy winner, just like that. It's a common move in football for a ball carrier to stiff arm. Resist their attempts to tackle you and stop you. Hear me, please. If you thought that the Christian life and following God was going to come without a fight, somebody lied to you. It's like you're carrying the ball for the kingdom. And you got a bunch of defenders. They're called the devil and his demons. If you don't believe in the devil and his demons, come back to next week. I'll show you they're real. And he, he has employed an entire force of principalities and powers all over this world to stop churches like ours and stop families like yours and ruin testimonies that you have every day. And he will try to tackle you and tackle you and tackle you and tackle you. And if you're not careful, you will begin to get bitter and angry at God. And he will get you to think this. I should have never went to church in the first place. I should have never got baptized. I should have never dedicated my child. I should have never tried to turn my life around and overcome that addiction. I, I, forget this. I shouldn't have tried to put our marriage back together. Every time I do right, something bad happens. And he will get you to go right back to destructive behaviors and bad habits and unhealthy patterns of thinking. You must resist him. What does that look like? Stiff arm the guy. Just, just shove them in the face with the word of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have, every, I have resurrection power through Christ. He overcame death and hell and the grave. And the book of Ephesians says every child of God has that same measure of power. So why give up? Why throw in the towel? Why take your helmet off and go sit on the bench and pout? You are a child of the king. 
You are on the winning side. Have you read the book of Revelation? Yes. You might feel like you're losing now. Go read the book of Revelation this afternoon. You will win. So if you're going to win then, why not work on winning right now? Why give up now? Why blame it on God now? Why blame it on your circumstances now? Recognize if you're going forward for God, it is Satan that is opposing you. Stiff arm that sucker every day. And with the power of God, rise up and say with his help and his power, I will be victorious today. I'll live in victory. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.